Cities need to weigh the experiences of people who take transit and ride bikes more heavily than people who drive. Someone who is saying, I don't want to spend five more minutes in my car, it's not the same as I don't want to die. So welcome, Courtney Cobb. Thank you so much for joining Bike Talk. Um, you are the assistant editor of Streets Blog Chicago and one of my favorite tweeters. Oh, wow. Well, thank you. And so tell us how you got interested in bikes. So I was born and raised in Little Rock, Arkansas. And around, like, when I was in high school, I discovered the link between our car-dependent transportation, quote-unquote, system and global warming. And I was like, I don't want to contribute to that. So I need to find a city to live in where I don't need a car to get around. And so that led me to the Streets Blog Chicago website a couple years later when I went to grad school in Illinois. That is around the time I found Streets Blog Chicago. And um, yeah, the idea of just biking around was really appealing. I loved riding a bike as a child. And then when I got older, kind of got away from that because the idea was that bikes are for kids. And then I discovered no, actually, it can be a way to get around. So I had a Divi membership, and Divi is the bike share system here in Chicago. But I've had a membership as long as the system has been around. And I started out just riding on the lakefront trail just for, like, exercise and for fun. And then when I moved to the north side of the city, I lived closer to the Red Line, which is our 24-hour uh, train line along with the blue line, which is 24 hours. And there was a, a Dibby station about, let's say, a quarter mile from my apartment. And so sometimes I would hop on Dibby and go to the lakefront trail. And then I was like, oh, I can actually use Dibby when I miss the bus sometimes. Like, I think I can do that. The little half mile to like one and a half mile trip that I would normally take on the bus, I started to do it on Divi. And then I got a job for a short stint of time as like a bicycle ambassador. And that just started me on the path of just riding as much as possible. I stopped riding the train as often. I went from riding the train about five or six days out of the week to a couple times a month just only out of necessity, like if it was raining or something, which if you're a true, I don't want to say if you're a true bike person, but if you're like committed, <laughs> you know, a lot of people listening will be like, well, I would just ride anyway in the rain. I'm not that kind of person. I will pick and choose, you know, based upon the weather. Because the snow, right? Yes, there's snow on the ground right now. And I'm still going to go out today. I've, I've, I can't avoid it any longer. I have to like go out and get groceries today. Um, because we're in Southern California, so we actually don't have, we have perfect weather. Yeah, <laughs> Southern California would be perfect if you had like great biking infrastructure. It's such a great city 
that could be a biking city if the infrastructure was there. Right. So how, by the way, you were so far ahead on this issue. I feel like people are just now making the connection between climate and bikes. I mean, some people, I live in a neighborhood here in Chicago where we have acts, we have really good transit access and it's actually not that horrible to ride a bike, even though I've had some incidents that would, you know, deter many people from ever getting on a bike again. But I think if more of my neighbors who kind of have the reputation of being environmentally conscious and progressive, I think if more of my neighbors join me, they would see that it's 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 fine. It's actually enjoyable even. I'm not doing this because I'm like down on my luck or I have no other option to get around. It's a choice. And I think some people who live on my block get that. Um, they they hear me with my radio. One one neighbor one day, she was like, oh, you're the woman who bites with the music. <laughs> So I kind of have a little reputation. Well, how, how is Chicago doing with bike lanes? I don't think we're doing all that great, actually. Um, there was a report that came out not too long ago that the city has really fallen behind on building the number of promised protected bike lanes. Um, over the summer, there were some new lanes painted in areas that um, really needed bike lanes are south and west side of the city, which um, predominantly have black and brown populations, more lower income populations. And so a lot of the new bike lanes were created there. But in my opinion, a true bike lane is one that protects you from vehicles and pain on the ground is simply not enough. I can count the number of drivers who are parked in our so-called bike lanes. I can count the number of times someone passed me too closely, who passed me aggressively. So there's still a lot of work to be done. And I think by tackling those issues, which is really making biking safer, that is how you get more people to bike. It's not enough to just throw some paint on the ground and be like, hey, we created a bike lane. Now it's safe for you to ride. That's not enough for most people. Was there like leadership at some point and then it went away? Our former mayor, Mayor Rahm Emanuel, who I'm not a big fan of his, um, but I can credit him with really bolstering the biking scene here in Chicago. If it wasn't for him and his transportation commissioner at the time, who I believe was Gabe Klein. Um, Gabe only had a short stint here in Chicago but um, I feel like I can credit him with bringing our bike share system to Chicago. I think that made biking a lot more accessible for people. So I definitely say it's an issue of leadership. Many people on our city council don't understand the need for biking infrastructure and how it can improve the lives of their residents. Even my own city council rep one time on Twitter um, she remarks like, you guys are wild in response to people saying that we wanted more protected bike lanes in the ward. Have you been able to persuade elected officials and what do you think of the best arguments? You know, I will say my last meeting with my city council rep went better than previous ones. And the issue I was talking to her about was bike parking. 
and you have people that have, you know, $30,000, $40,000 vehicles that get to park for free. How, like, how does that make sense? But she definitely understood my point that in the same space, you can park one vehicle, you can park 10 bikes, depending on how we can install these at intersections where cars are currently parked and the line of vision is not so great. However, the issue with lobbying individual city council members is that it's not a very effective strategy, I think. I think our biking infrastructure needs to come from the top down because currently our aldermen or our city council reps can just say, no, I don't want that in my area. And that's just the end of the discussion. And I think it needs to come down from the city that protected bicycling infrastructure is just important as a stop sign. It's just as important as our schools. It's just like a basic fact of living in the city of Chicago. That's what I want to see that these are not just um, things that we kind of pick and choose. And it's like based on whether or not drivers are going to be happy with it, but just like, no, this is about saving lives. And this is about saving our planet and trying to mitigate the effects of climate change. How is the traffic in Chicago? Is it bad? If you talk to drivers, it's bad. I'm like, I wouldn't know because I'm not sitting in it most of the time. (laughs) And do you find that putting in bike lanes lessens the traffic? I think it definitely can. Um, Right now, our traffic volumes are lower because of COVID. People are working from home and bars and things like that are not open. So people don't have the option to really like get out and for entertainment. And so I think the time is right to install bike lanes because I think people are more open to doing things differently and there's less resistance. Um, Cars are sitting empty for longer hours of the day. And I think there are lots of people who are questioning like, why do I own a car right now? Or who would be open to a car-free lifestyle right now if the conditions were right. And do you feel like the, I just saw you tweeted um, about, and I retweeted you, <laughs> about the um, Sunrise Movement in Cambridge is doing work on housing. And I always feel like it's climate, housing, and bike activists are a natural coalition. Totally. There was a proposal here in my neighborhood for a new housing development And lots of people are up in arms about it because they feel like the neighborhood needs more car storage. I like to call it car storage because that's really what it is. And um, I made the argument that like we should be working to house people, not to store cars. Didn't really go over well in the local Facebook group. And Yeah, I don't think it necessarily has to be an either or like we either get a new parking deck, which is what a lot of people want, or we get new housing. I think you can have housing and car storage, but we need to be honest with people about the cost of that, that when you add car storage to a building, you increase the cost for it. Um, And that the city shouldn't be building, you know, city owned car storage because it's a bad investment. It just doesn't make financial sense. But if people really want it, I would prefer that they cough up the money first. Like you, you pay for the parking that you really want and we'll build it. Wow. 
That would change things. <laughs> considerably, considerably. That is, that is to me the biggest mystery is why in a place like New York, on um, in one of the richest neighborhoods on the planet, we give away free parking. Yeah, I could understand in neighborhoods on the south and west sides of our city, or even on the northwest sides of the city of Chicago that, that are not well served by transit, keeping some of that parking for free because people don't have a lot of options. But then you start to create those options and then you start to limit the parking and whatever parking is left over, people need to pay for it. Is there a free transit movement going on in Chicago? Not that I know of. I mean, there are things that I see on Twitter, people wanting free transit here in Chicago. And I'm not against free transit. Um, I just want free transit that is convenient and efficient. So if tomorrow our, our mayor made transit free, I don't think it would considerably increase the amount of people taking it. I think you would have a lot of people who couldn't afford fares taking it, which is a great thing. But I don't necessarily think people who own, you know, two or three vehicles are suddenly going to go, oh, wow, transit is free. So I'm just going to sell my, my cars now. We need to make it an attractive option. And right now, it really isn't. Um, I have a friend who lives like on the opposite end of the city as me. And if I wanted to take transit to visit her, it would take me around two hours but it would take me maybe 40 minutes in a car. Mm -hmm. So we need to make transit competitive with driving and then make it free. Wow, yeah. What, what, do you, what could the federal government do to increase biking in places like Chicago, LA, New York? Mandate protected bicycling infrastructure and actually fund it. As, as much as I love the idea of giving people a voucher to pay for electric bikes, which I think is part of the equation of getting more people on bikes, first, we need to create the safe infrastructure so that people just feel safe the same way that drivers feel safe and protected in their cars. We need to make it to where people who are walking and people who are biking feel safe as well. Mm -hmm. And are safe, not just feel safe, but they actually are safe. What are the cities around the world you feel like are doing this? And are any of them in America? By American standards, Seattle is doing a good job. I know that they've built a lot of protected bike lanes and they've invested very heavily in their transit system and transit use is pretty high there. I'm really excited about San Jose, California. I stumbled across their bike plan. They're like better bike plan, I believe it's called. And basically it's a plan to get more people biking and a plan to create the type of infrastructure that we really need to get more people of all ages and different abilities comfortable using a bike for transportation or even for recreation. They did a great job engaging the community, right? Yes, they actually went to places where you can find a lot of people 
And they made it a point to target groups that are traditionally underrepresented and typically not engaged in like city engagement and civic engagement. So like people that make a lower income, people with limited English proficiency, seniors, I think youth were on the list of people and people with disabilities. And I often think like how different would our streets look if, you know, municipal and state and federal um, governments were trying to center on how can we make our streets safer for people with disabilities? How can we make our streets safe for seniors? How can we make our streets safe for children? So that's why I really like um, San Jose's plan because they acknowledge that 75% of people who live in San Jose do not feel safe. They don't feel comfortable riding a bike. And so they're asking themselves like, okay, if 75% of our residents don't feel safe to ride a bike, that is a huge problem. And so what are the streets that we need to fix? Um, what are things that we need to do in order to help people feel safe? And I just love that approach because I don't think a lot of cities acknowledge that pain on the ground is not protection. Pain on the ground is not enough to entice most people out of their cars and hop on a bike for transportation. So if you're asking the right questions, it will lead you to the right kind of infrastructure, in my opinion. Are you going to do the Dutch Cycling Embassy webinar on Thursday? I am not. I feel like the Dutch are so far ahead that <laughs> it would just be <laughs> Too <depressing>. pointless for <laughs> me to sit in and look at all this amazing infrastructure that I would love to have. And I can't even find the email addresses for the staff of my local Department of Transportation. Like it's like pulling at times to get them to respond. So all I can hope is that maybe one of them will take the webinar and try to convince, you know, their boss that this is something we need to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tears, like real tears. I wish that was the world we lived in where, I don't know if you know this, but they have um, at some of their intersections, if it's raining, they have the ability to detect if a person on a bike is coming to the intersection and it will give that person the green light. Uh, so you're not like stuck sitting at a light in the right. rain on your bike. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> I can't even like, oh, wow. The thoughtfulness here. I just, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's mind blowing and frustrating and inspirational at the same time. Feels like there's two different worlds of bikers. There's cyclists, I guess, you know, who do it for sport, and then bikers and bike activists who want to make it about transportation, but also climate. Um, for me, it's housing in LA um, because I think the traffic is has made it impossible to build here because of anxiety about traffic and neighbors fighting building because they don't want more traffic. But it, have you ever seen those groups come together as, you know, a coalition? I feel like I've seen a smidge of it and only via Twitter, um, but some folks in Minneapolis who are making the connection between housing affordability, dense housing, the need for, um, 
better bicycling infrastructure, the need for better transit. And I look at it, I feel like we, we are on the same page about this, but um, people have more money to spend when they aren't spending it on car payments and car maintenance, parking, gas, that sort of thing. And so that frees up money for housing. It frees up money maybe for like entertainment, going to local businesses, that sort of thing. So I think the more people who have more money in their pocket because they're not having to spend it on a car in order to fully participate in society, the better. I don't necessarily think that's what ha- that's what's happening in my neighborhood where people need a car in order to get to their job. Sure, there are some people in my neighborhood where that is totally the case. But then you have people who just want to drive their $60,000 car to Trader Joe's to just show off. Like, I just want a Land Rover because it's a status symbol. And I'm going to drive it two miles to pick up a gallon of milk. Those are really, I think everyone needs to kind of be targeted in this effort to create cycling infrastructure that everyone can use, all ages, all abilities, because if I were in a wheelchair or if I had an adaptive bike, I wouldn't feel safe on my local neighborhood greenway. Drivers wouldn't, I don't think they would be nice to me. So um, we need to correct issues like that so that more people feel safe. It's so interesting what you're saying about the the, the Land Rover and like the status symbol is that it's so aspirational to have a car and then the nicer car and the nicest car. I, I mean, I feel like these e-bikes coming out are like, they're pretty cool. <laughs> I actually think it's a lot like smoking. It's like we advertising sold us smoking as something that was sexy and cool and independent and strong, like literally the opposite of everything it is. And I feel like cars are selling us this, you know, and like, how do you beat them? Totally. I think ads about the true reality of driving, like showing someone stuck in traffic, I could see this going really far in Los Angeles, you know, just showing your everyday traffic scene, someone in their car, just super frustrated, pissed off, you know, bleeping out a few times, um, have a couple bleeps in there because people, they get it. And then showing someone who's on a bike path or in a bike lane, just racing past all the traffic and being like, this could be you or showing someone biking on their way to work. They get to work, they're smiling and they try to give everyone a high five. And everyone else is like, I just sat in traffic for over an hour to get here and blah, blah, blah. And then they show this person just, you know, just pedaling happily to work. I'd even do the same with transit, like just showing a bus speeding past all the traffic and people getting to work early, having time to go get coffee or or take a little walk around the block before they go into work. And then you show everyone else stuck in traffic. I love that. Because it feels like we need to persuade people. It's almost like they need to, the whole country needs to take a, the red pill. Like they're not seeing it, which seems, it feels so obvious to, to like a yeah. small group of people. And you see all these polls where it's like, you know, Americans want action on climate change. And I'm like, but do they want to change their own actions? Like, 
when it comes to things like bike lanes or building housing next to transit and building denser housing and that sort of thing, people are often opposed to it. And I think that's a great time to be like, hey, didn't you say, didn't you say that you care about the environment? Aren't you a person who loves the environment? This is actually good for the environment. The more people who are biking, the more people who are taking transit, the closer people live to their jobs, the better. And I think we can even sell it in a selfish way. The more people who are biking, the more people who are taking transit, the fewer people there will be, you know, on the freeways and on the roads, and you'll have a quicker commute if you are one of those people who truly cannot you know, go without your car, you like need it. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's a tipping point in terms of infrastructure? I mean, has anyone studied that? Like how, how do you get to become Copenhagen? Is there a point where it's, it's safe enough and, and the network is big enough that you see a massive shift or is it incremental with every new bike lane, you see a few more people? I think the fastest way to the tipping point is to just go all out, build the network. It There needs to be a network in the same way that I used to be able to hop in a car and know that if I wanted to go visit a friend in the suburb, I can do that because there's going to be a road for me. Um, we need to do that with biking infrastructure. So that means no more disappearing bike lanes. That's really the biggest thing. No more disappearing bike lanes and no more big gaps because there are big gaps in our supposed cycling network here in Chicago. And there was something that a friend of mine tweeted out yesterday. Um, our largest bicycling and transit advocacy group um, shared this picture and basically saying like, if you're a cyclist, you need to go off this path you know, so that you can avoid traffic. And my friend shared it and said, we need to get to the point where drivers are the ones having to adapt. I love that. <laughs> yeah, like that, the goal should be for drivers to be, to adapt. Currently, it's people like me who are on bikes that have to go out of their way in order to avoid either being harassed, being injured, being killed, just, you know, whatever, when really, if you're someone who's in a 3,000 pound vehicle, you don't have to physically exert yourself to get around. It's not such a big deal for you to go half mile or a mile or two out of your way versus if you're like using calories, using your body to propel you forward. We should be giving those people the most direct and easiest and fastest routes to get around the city. Is, is that another argument that you feel like that people are listening to is the health of it? Not only how much healthier look you look, how much better you look, but also our healthcare expenses go down so much if more people bite. Yeah, I don't think that appeals so much to the everyday person, but I think it's a good argument at the federal and state level, especially on the state level. Like if you get more people biking, then Medicaid costs go down and there are fewer people dying from preventable diseases, fewer people um, developing chronic diseases like heart disease or diabetes, that sort of thing. I love your vision of a bike 
network everywhere. Do you feel like there's like best practices around you take car lanes away, parking away? Are there are there tricks people aren't thinking about? I've had the pleasure of learning from a lot of people who have been thinking about this longer than I have. And as much as I want car-free neighborhood streets, I think it would be a tough sale initially. And I think um, the fastest way to get a really accessible network here in Chicago is traffic diverters. And if you're unfamiliar, like if you're someone listening, you're like, what's a traffic diverter? It's just like it sounds. It's something that diverts car traffic away. We have a nice little network of side streets here in Chicago. And a lot of people like to use those side streets as ways to kind of get around traffic on the more heavily trafficked roads. They like to speed down the residential streets. And I think that we can prevent a lot of that by installing traffic diverters. So streets that are now two-way streets would become one-way streets for drivers, but they would remain two-way streets for people on bikes. Um, People who live on those streets can still get to their house. It may not be in the same way that they could before, but they can still access their home And the traffic volumes would go down. And I would think that this would lead to more people feeling safe biking, more children out in the streets the way I think it should be. We shouldn't be forcing kids to like go to a park, which isn't horrible. Like it's not a bad thing to go to a park, but you should also be free to just sit on the ground with your friend and make chalk figures or skateboard or roller skate without your parents or you fearing that you're going to be hit by a vehicle. I love your idea of turning side side streets into bike lanes because you have a built-in constituency. People go crazy here because Waze or Ubers are cutting through people's neighborhoods where their kids are playing. Mm-hmm. They hate it. Mm-hmm. So- You kind of have, instead of the NIMBYs being against you, they're for you. (laughs) And a lot of times you can keep the parking. Are there best ways to engage communities so that they have a say, they have, their voices are heard? Yeah, I think that's something that's really lacking in a lot of cities. And Chicago is no exception. The city has done some engagement around various things. And at the same time, we have plans or community engagement reports that are just sitting on shelves. So I think a lot of people are skeptical. They're like, well, we already did a survey. They already came and asked us our opinion like four years ago and nothing's happened. You know, we we gave our input, we said what we wanted, and there's been no movement to actually create the things that we said we wanted. Um, And on the other hand, A lot of community engagement makes it really easy for privileged people to give their input. The people who just happen to know about these things or who have the time and energy to be really engaged in local politics. And what I would like to see are more efforts to reach more black and brown, more lower income people, more women, more people with disabilities, more LGBTQ folks involved, and actually have it be mandated that community engagement processes reach, you know, however many, 
like a percentage of women, a percentage of Black people, a percentage of Latinx, and it needs to mirror the demographics of the neighborhood. If the neighborhood is, you know, 60% Latinx, but the community engagement is showing 60% white people, then that would be an issue. Um, So I think ways that cities can get creative I'm involved, I'm actually a co-founder of an organization here in Chicago, Better Street Chicago. And one of my colleagues, one of my co-conspirators, Kyle Lucas, he created some stickers. And on the sticker is a QR code where people can go to our website. And I'm I am just dumbfounded that our city hasn't found a way to distribute um, flyers and stickers and various other things with QR codes to reach people like at a bus stop and be like, hey, we're thinking about um, adding a bus only lane to the street. What do you think about that? We're thinking <laughs> about creating a protected bike lane in your area. What do you think about that? So going to the people as opposed to making people come to you. I think that's the that- best way to do community engagement. That is so brilliant. I mean, they should be on buses, like on every chair. Because <laughs> exactly. hear what the bus riders think as much as the car drivers. Mm-hmm. And I would also say um, cities need to weigh the experiences of people who take transit and ride bikes more heavily than people who drive. Someone who is saying, I don't want to spend five more minutes in my car It's not the same as I don't want to die or I want to make it home tonight. Like these are false equivalencies and cities are often, you know, weighing the opinions of drivers the same way that they're weighing the experiences of people who, who bike. It's just not the same. It's also in with, uh, there was a knockdown fight over the Venice. I don't know if you heard about this. I don't know that you would have, but um, the Venice Boulevard bike lane in Los Angeles and I think it increased traffic at certain times of day, 30 seconds, maybe two minutes. And they all, they're people who still to this day feel like it's vastly increased traffic times, you know, that it's closed stores. There's zero evidence of that. Like it's, it's the story that basically halted bike lanes in LA because a tiny group of a few people started a recall campaign. And now you, you talk to a city council person, you're like, you know, bike lanes, bike lanes, bike lanes. What do you think? And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's a good way to get recalled. Which is exactly why I think cities need to be the one to to make this happen as opposed to individual city council members. Like your, your job shouldn't be at risk simply due to bike lanes or a bus only lane. These should be championed by the city And also when you rely on individual city council members, this leads to inequities because here in Chicago, a lot of, I'm not going to say a lot, but you're more likely to gain more traction with the North side aldermen and the North side of the city is the more wider side of the city, the more affluent side of the city. And it's seen more investment in terms, just more investment all around. And so if you go to a city council member who represents 
an area on the south and west side and you talk about bike lanes or like my people don't need bike lanes or like people here don't ride bikes which is not true but a lot of these neighborhoods are very car centric and they were built to serve the car and so the city council reps are reluctant to sort of mess with that and I get it and I also think it shouldn't be up to them whether or not a protected bike lane is installed or a bus lane is installed. So many people across the city of Chicago travel ward to ward or, you know, um, do you call them wards in Los Angeles? Uh, We call them city council districts. Okay, so... there are only 15 for 4 million people, so it's like... Okay, we have 50. So it's very easy to travel from district to district as you're just doing your everyday thing. And so that's why I think it shouldn't be left up to these individual representatives. It should just be a citywide initiative. Well, and that's, I mean, it's in terms of the equity and who's getting these, you know, whether they want them or not, you know, there's an argument about it creates gentrification and displacement. Is that something that is a concern in Chicago? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I'm not as heavily involved in those conversations, to be honest. And I, it's a naive way to think about it, but I think one of the best ways you can prevent gentrification due to bike lanes is to just make sure every neighborhood has bike lanes and to ensure that every neighborhood has an adequate or equitable, I should say, amount of affordable housing. Mm-hmm. I think we should copy in LA what you did with the stickers and the QR. Go for it. Yeah. I I mean, it might get you in a bit of trouble defacing city property (laughs) or whatever, but I think it's worth it. Oh my God, Courtney, thank you so much. It was so great to talk to you. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Lindsay. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 